Hello, and welcome to the Race to Alaska podcast, where we are bringing you interviews with the teams of Race to Alaska 2024. I'm Jesse, the race boss, and I want to start off today with a big thanks to everyone who responded to last week's call for volunteers. I hope you know Race to Alaska is a project of the Northwest Maritime Center in Port Towns in Washington, and we can't do anything without all of our volunteers, from putting on Race to Alaska, 7048, the Port Townsend Wooden Boat Festival, and so many thanks. If that call for volunteers didn't drop into your inbox, then roll on over to r2ak.com, sign up for our email list. And now I want to speak directly to all of the on the fence, haven't made up your mind, waffling potential R2AK racers out there. What exactly is it you're waiting for? A rise in ocean temperatures? Waiting for someone to perfect a hydrofoiling Montgomery 17? Look, time is getting short for tossing your hat in the ring. Applications for 2024 close in just two months from today. So get over to r2ak.com apply and quit your procrastinating. All right, I've got that off my chest. So now let's talk about Team Hornblower. Team Hornblower is a one-man band whose vessel of choice is an Angus row cruiser. His name is Dan Culpepper, and you might all remember him from his attempt last year in the race where he became yet another casualty of inside passage logs. Uh, you might also remember him as the guy who played a horn every time we pointed a camera at him. Very fun guy, and uh, this is a chat I had with Dan the other day. Hope you enjoy it. Well, Dan, uh, you're back. I'm back. Indeed. <laughs> we, we've seen you before. We, we know your game, and we're <laughs> yes. excited to have you. Are you planning, first question, are, mm-hmm. same, are you bringing the same horn? Yes, I'm bringing the same horn. Definitely same the same horn, horn but a, a slightly modified boat. Modified in terms that you're going to have a, a proper mount for your horn. Oh yes, exactly. How did you? How did you? Yeah, it, definitely. It's going to be uh, hanging off the back of the uh, the boat, ready to go at a moment's notice. Yeah. Sometimes we saw you last year. You had to take a minute to dig out the horn, and that was uh, right. That was unacceptable. No, absolutely inefficient. Exactly. It, when it's needed, it's needed. You're on a you're on a row cruiser, Angus row cruiser. What yes. are you? It seems like every time I see someone come back with an Angus road cruiser for another race, mm-hmm. they say, yes. oh, we've made some pretty big modifications. <laughs> so what, uh, what's the modifications you're making? Well, in a way, the modifications I did originally <clears throat> kind of went against his, his design. I, mean, I only had one mast. And I had one mast with a very large sail. And the problem with that ended up being that in certain conditions – in which I had a little bit of experience in, but I didn't quite get the you know wind against tide, pretty good sized seas, trying to tack the boat and how unbalanced it was. I had made the rudder a lot larger, and of course my problems by the by a few days in was that I had broken the lee board, so I had no no uh, dagger board, lee board, whatever. It had broken twice, and so it, it, I didn't have any kind of. Uh, you know, I couldn't stop myself from side slipping. And mm-hmm. so trying to tack with a single sail that's pretty far forward. So I've solved that and just, I put another mast. So now I have a little mizzen on the back, about half the square footage I've uh, of the main sail. I've made the main sail smaller and uh, just balanced the boat a lot, a lot more. So little details like that. I, I made a big list, obviously, and uh, went down each aspect of the boat and uh, saw where it could be improved. Where do you usually sail your your Angus Row Cruiser out there? You're in you're in Connecticut. I'm in Connecticut, so Long Island Sound. We have right right down you know a few miles away from me, 
And uh, there's a lake here, Camplewood Lake, which uh, is is a great place to start out. You know, the first put it in being the season, try out these little things like that, because it's sort of lake sailing, which uh, which my father's quote about lake sailing was always, uh, you know, some guy opens up a garage door and the wind changes, you know, yeah. which is pretty much <laughs> what it's like on a lake. And so which is really good for for, um, you know, it's a lot more predictable uh, wind wise sailing on Long Island Sound. I mean, you can anticipate uh, there's not a lot of uh, effects, but on lake there is. So it's good training for that. And then, yeah, on Long Island Sound along the coast right there across the Long Island, which is only seven miles away from Connecticut. Sure. So it, it's it's a pretty good cruising ground. It's good cruising ground, but it's also it can uh, it can get kind of rowdy in there. Yeah, it can. It can. You know, it's uh, you don't want to be anywhere near land if it starts blowing down the sound or or up. But uh, it's not as it gets a lot more raucous outside the race when you get to the east, and then you sure. get out towards, uh, you know, Block Island and and obviously, you know, Nantucket, which is kind of like an another different weather system. Yeah, uh, but you've also mm-hmm. you've also been out in the out in the big waters of the Atlantic a bit. Can you tell us a bit about some of those experiences? Well, not in a row cruiser. But... Oh well, I mean that's the next <laughs> thing. But but we, we're curious to hear yeah, exactly, even if it's a little bigger boat, it's still interesting. Yeah, I, I, I've had two. Um, two boats that I could go on the ocean with. And one was a, a old Pearson 35, which is fun. Then I got a bigger boat. I got a, this Beneteau 50 and that's, that's capable of basically going anywhere. And I thought, well, this will be fun. Let's take this across the Atlantic. And, uh, and we did stop Bermuda, the Azores got to Europe and left the boat there for three years. And we, we'd oh, come back each summer. And so I left the boat in various, in Italy and Morocco and Spain in Portugal, and we'd leave the boat during the year and go back in the summer and sail for a couple of months. But that that was really frustrating. I, I really like, I'm a very hands-on kind of uh, guy when it comes to boats. That's the reason I have a sailboat, because I can uh-huh. work on it. It's, it's fun. So so we eventually had to get the boat back. I just didn't enjoy the uh, having others work on the boat and, and you know, managing from afar. So, so we brought the boat back. Uh, 2018, we brought the boat back across and spent more time in the Azores and uh, sailed the entire way. Great. It was a great, great trip and fun, uh, you know, relatives with a father, sister. And it was it was a it was a great time. Yeah. Well, OK, so uh, so ocean sailing versus something like Race to Alaska, just flat yes. out. Do you have a do you have a preference? Um, yeah, it depends upon what kind of trip I want. The. Uh, uh, in terms of preference, I, I loved being by myself on the uh, on the race to Alaska. I, I, I like the solitude of doing it. I mean, I, I spent a profession performing in front of you know thousands of people in various halls and stuff like that. I always valued my my um, you know alone time, and that was that was wonderful. In that, it's just a different. It's a very very different experience. Uh, uh, I I loved crossing an ocean, the Zen like. The thing of while the boat's just going or steering by the stars and turning all the electronics off and just sailing, and uh, there's a a Zen moment. I didn't feel that in a race to Alaska. It's a, it's a lot more technical thoughts going through your head. You know what's going on with the tide right now? What's the wind going here? Am I going to be rowing for the next twelve hours? And uh, etc. We're on the the big boat. It's very different. Uh, and then of course I'm having you know a relative uh, you know serving their their beef goulash at at, you know, 10 PM. So it's a very different, uh, <laughs> a sailing experience. And I, and I love both. I really do. Yeah. Hey, at what, at what point did you become aware of race to Alaska? That's interesting. You say that it's probably like a lot of the guys say it's like, um, 
2015, 2016, the, the whole origin story. I mm -hmm. mean, seeing it in a magazine someplace. I, I forget what magazine it was. And then following it, Colin Angus, of course, that was, uh, I was following him for, for other stuff. And then, then he did this and, and uh, that sort of started the infatuation with the, the whole idea of like, yeah, okay. Yeah. I'm getting up there. I'm ready to, I'm ready to do this kind of stuff. And, and uh, you know, COVID retired me in many ways. Uh, and I was, I had the time to finish the boat at that point. And, um, and it was always in the back of my head, you know, why, why build a little boat like I did in my garage? I'm not going to do something with it. And I, and I knew I wasn't just going to, you know, sail around the lake. It's just too technical a boat. It's really built for voyaging, you know, not, not for a day sail. So. Hmm. Colin Angus, of course, is a big part of the history of race to Alaska. And I, I just love thinking back to his last, his last race to Alaska attempt at the Proving Ground. <laughs> yep. He got his ass handed to he him. He got his yeah. ass handed yes. to him. And I love it because everybody knows Colin Angus is this badass, human-powered right. circumnavigator, yeah. lovely yeah. guy. And he spent uh, yeah. something like nine hours clawing his way just barely out yep. of uh, Port Townsend and back yeah. again. Yeah. You know what it is? He's fucking human. Yeah. <laughs> and it just it goes to proof. I mean, exactly. I mean, uh, you know, for what he's done in his life, and uh, exactly. It, it, it proves that he's human. It makes all of us feel like, oh, yeah, OK, fine. If it happens to him, it's also terrifying, too. And if something like that happens to him and he makes those decisions like that, you know, OK, what would I do in that same circumstance? They're, they're great. Uh, you know, they're experiences to learn from. And, yeah. I, and I've always done that over my my whole sailing career. I've read read the books, listened to the, the people talk about this because people have experience and they're going to they're going to tell you one thing, for instance, the start of the race and the proving ground, I was told under no, no, you know, uncertain terms not to keep east. You know, so it's don't go north. You're going due north. Don't stay on the east side. Get to the west as soon as you can. Right. Go around the corner, head over mm -hmm. to the west and and then uh, make your way straight up into Victoria. Don't go on the east side. You'll get nailed. So what do I do? I leave. I go north. I stay on the east side. Right. <laughs> I go all the way because I'm having beautiful wind. You know, yeah, oh, sure. this is great. I'm sailing along and sailing along. Then I eventually have to turn west. Then I start turning west, and it was just like row, 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 and then the Harrow Strait starts sucking me into it for hours. And and all of a sudden, I realized what an idiot. You know, I was warned, I was told <laughs> to do this, but instead, I just got sucked into it. So it's little stuff like that you you learn, and sometimes by and so it takes me twenty two hours to get there. But I got there. You know, you I, did I, get there. I felt I actually felt good. Yeah. I arrived, and and uh, you know, you row for. For, I don't know what I wrote, 16 hours of that, you know, it, it's um, it, it makes you feel good that you've accomplished something. But at the same time, I was just kind of kicking myself. I was as I was trying to get west across there. I was just like ah, I was warned. I was warned. Yeah, it's funny to me uh, that, uh, you know, all of the all the race trackers for Race to Alaska, they're all still available. If people don't know that they can go to the R2AK website and mm -hmm. poke around, you'll find them. And if you look year after year. You'll see yeah. what works and you'll see what doesn't work. And yet year after year, we get people getting sucked right up Harrow. And it's it's pretty fun to watch. I'm I'm a big fan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So was I. You know, at one point in Harrow, I was doing I was sailing along perfectly fine. I mean, the the sail was completely full. I I, I was sailing along. I actually had the autopilot, which I have an autopilot set. And I was just sailing and sailing and sailing, going nowhere. I was exactly in the same spot, GPS spot, for like three hours. I went down below. 
underneath, I just kind of sat in a little cabin right there. I was reading a book, looking whatever like that. And I look out every once in a while and the water was going by as if I was sailing along at five knots, you know, but I yeah. wasn't going anywhere. I was stopping. And then I started slowly going back towards Orcas Island. You know, it was, it was this, this, this kind of, uh, I, I need to do something different right now. You know, <laughs> and that's where I'd see, I'd see boats on the horizon, Kind of go by me and three others got sucked into it along with me i'd see them just kind of going by and then uh it, it was it was uh yeah exactly i had been warned so you know yeah. it's it's a great place for people to, to really truly learn about tides and currents you may you may think you have a yeah. book learnings but come do race to alaska you understand yeah. what, what rivers are all about no it's it's so true it, and it's so different than the east coast i i mean i've been in high tides and and I mean, you go up into Nova Scotia, I, I was sailing around Nova Scotia and they have some of the highest tides in the world, right? I mean, sure. 42 feet. I mean, stuff comes in, the tidal bores are incredible there. And, uh, but it's very, very different. It's, it's very, uh, it's a lot more active. And even going through the race at the end of Long Island Sound, these pinch points that, you know, straight to Gibraltar, mm -hmm. it's, it's much more organized. Uh, it, it, <laughs> the strange little eddies that come off or the tide schedule says it's going to do something at a certain time. And it's, it's, it doesn't, you know, I was, I was going down the, 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 the coming back and one of the trips on the, on the way back when I was heading down and, um, and, and the tide was saying I had it with me. I was, I was trying to get out of the place. I stayed that night and it said that, that the, the water was coming out of the Harbor at that point. Okay. It was an ebb, mm -hmm. ebb tide. And I swear to God, it was against me by two knots. I was sure. rowing and rowing yeah. and rowing. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? Yeah, come to this part of the world, and it, it, there are so many things affecting tides and currents around here that that you don't yeah. necessarily have to deal with everywhere else. For instance, people don't uh, really take into account you have a two thousand mile long Fraser River that is dumping water twenty four hours a day uh, just north of the San Juan Islands, and mm -hmm. you, get, you get a spectacular snow melt. All of a sudden, your tide charts are just wrong at that point <laughs> exactly. you got bathymetry you have you have spots over by the edge of san juan island where you're getting into 1500 feet deep and these upwellings are affecting everything uh it's the perfect place for race to alaska isn't it it is it is it's a brilliant <laughs> idea i mean it is it's a totally it is because there's so many variables that it makes it a lot of fun that's why people come back year after year so so switching attention to this coming year uh it's mm -hmm. uh it's february 9th today I can't mm -hmm. do math. You got several months to go. Uh, you're probably, yep. you're training, you're thinking about it, you're coming up with your plan. Like, uh, and you have a, most of the course uh, yet unseen. Yep. Um, what are you thinking about? Like, what's on your mind the most about the race coming up? Well, several things. I mean, some takeaways from previous race and things I could change. I, and I think um, uh, the big thing is uh, stay west, young man. Do not, <laughs> do not, you know, especially on the proving ground, even though I, I got there. The next was uh, rethinking the boat, which I've done. So uh, I, you know, I got rid of the lee board setup. I now have a dagger board that's a lot more centrally located and probably more protected. It won't come out of the water and snap mm -hmm. like the other ones did. And um, it's made of carbon fiber, so it's a lot stronger. I, what I'm thinking in the next few months is, yeah, training. I'm, I'm rowing. I have a rowing machine in the basement. I'm doing trying to get up to what I was doing before, which is a few hours a day of just rowing in a very different way than, you know, an Olympic rower would row. I mean, it's just, it's a, it's a more, you know, sedate way of doing it, but keeping your, my heart rate at 110 and just slowly just moving along. And that, that was good for me last time. And I'm continuing with that. 
I'm going to be taking the boat out in a lot more challenging conditions. Uh, Long Island Sound in in March can be, you know, can the weather can be unpredictable, and that's what I would kind of want to get into a little bit where I'm fairly close to shore, and you know, break the boat up a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. I think I'm going to focus on some things. My I, I'm good at staying awake. I'm I'm good at. <laughs> Uh, staying awake for a few days. And, and one of my mistakes I made early on after leaving Victoria was that everyone sort of camp, you know, went along for the day and around nine o'clock, everyone sort of found the camp and stopped, you know, the, the, the ones that I was following along mm-hmm. and uh, one of them. And I, I did the same thing. And you know what I did? I just stayed awake all night. I was, I was, I was awake when I stopped the boat and I, you know, I ate dinner and I just kind of just was awake and I should have continued on. I had good wind. And I should have just kept going for those and then realizing that it's a marathon, not a sprint. And at one point I could just pull over and put the boat on shore for a couple of days and just, you know, chill out. It was, it was kind of, I was a little bit, I was in a hurry, but I wasn't in a hurry, that kind of thing. I didn't pick my, my times to stop. I didn't pick my times to go very well. And I, and I think I will, will change that, that perception in my own mind of what I, what I should do. I should be a little more uh, responsive and mm-hmm. instead of kind of set in a way and have a plan. So maybe you, the plan I have is not to have a plan and not, at least not to, uh, to be a, a strict plan. I'll stop the night, you know, and, and rest. Sure. Up, so. sure. Do you, in that plan, no plan, do you have in your mind's eye some sort of finish time that you're shooting for? Well, I was hoping when the, in last year, I was hoping for, for three weeks uh-huh. and uh, I was, I was happy with that. You know, I, I wanted to, 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 to beat the, uh, the, uh, the, what, what do you call it? The, the grim sweeper. The grim yeah. sweeper. And, uh, yeah, yeah I, w- I wanted to, uh, definitely get beyond that. So, so again, the goal would be between two and three weeks. Well, I'm super glad that you're coming back. You were, um, you're a great character in the, in the play that is Race to Alaska last year. It's glad to have you blow the starting horn at the Victoria <laughs> start. Well, I hope to blow the horn at the end. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Let's have you blow the horn at the end this year. Thanks, Jesse. Hey, no problem. All right. Thanks a lot. Take care. We'll see you in June. Bye. And there it is. Hornblower back for round two and hopefully coming back with some lessons learned. We're going to head into the next interview, but before that, I want to give a shout out to our longtime sponsor, Baranoff Fishing Excursions and the Alaska Fish House right there in Ketchikan. We absolutely love these folks. They've been the host of the R2AK finish line since 2015. Uh, Every time you've watched a live stream of a team's finish, it's been at the Baranoff dock, and every time we've handed out cash nailed to a piece of wood or a shiny set of steak knives, it's been right there in the Alaska fish house. So I'm inviting you right now, Come to Ketchikan this June, watch your favorite teams arrive, and while you're at it, book a fishing charter, order some fish and chips, you won't regret it. All right, let's talk kayaks, shall we? Bruce McTaggart is team bow and arrow. That's Bowen, as in Bowen Island near Vancouver. Bow and arrow. Very clever, Bruce. Uh, Bruce is the next in a long line of kayakers who have decided to paddle the inside passage as quickly as humanly possible rather than taking the time to enjoy it. Uh, Kudos, Bruce. This interview here was conducted by the one and only Jen Vincent of Team Fashionably Late. You may remember her from 2018 or 2022, where she and her team narrowly missed getting their very own set of steak knives. All right. 
Well, it's um, it's a it's a great pleasure to chat with you today, Bruce. I'm I'm really excited to learn um, about your campaign and your reasons for doing the R2AK and, and and all the things that you want to share with us. I'll do my best. All right. Well, let's let's start with what got you here. What got you here to this point where you're applying and we're talking? It's it's a bit of a long story. Um, it goes back a couple of years ago. Uh, I actually I sold my company uh two years ago and part of my retirement plan was to do a uh, paddling trip from bowen island up to uh prince rupert wow. and it and in preparation for that i was considering doing uh, the race of the yukon challenge and a mm -hmm. buddy of mine uh who's going to be in this race as well as martin rother uh <laughs> He, uh, when he heard, you know, I was, cause he had done the race, the, the Yukon race. And when I was chatting with him about it, he says, don't waste your time doing the Yukon, do the race to Alaska. So uh, he worked on me for a little while and it caught my imagination that I want to do the Prince Rupert trip. So why not? Um, and I love racing. I do a lot of racing with surf ski and, and years past of marathon canoeing and such. You know, it's one of those things that you're, it captures your imagination. And you say, yeah, I think I can do that. That would be exciting. It's um, racing gives you a different perspective than doing a solo trip on your own or, or doing a, a um, private trip, you know, among, among some buddies to, to do the same destination. The race, this adds a little different dynamic to it. Um, so that's that. And, my, and again, within all that, I remember telling my wife uh, when we were traveling back from visiting our daughter in Whitehorse, Yukon, and we took the Inside Passage ferry back, uh, that further captured my my attention to, hey, this, this could be done. Living on Bowen Island, you're connected by water. You could paddle anywhere in the world from Bowen Island. And that whole idea of connection with the waterways to Prince Rupert, et cetera, um, it made sense to me. Anyways, I put everything together and uh, got accepted. So now it's reality. <laughs> well, and, and you have paddled in a lot of places around the world and some fairly significant distances too. Um, how yeah. much of the BC coastline have you done before? Uh, quite a few miles. Uh, you know, it did, I've done a number of paddling uh, out in Tofino, Vargas Island done paddling lots of paddling in georgia Strait, down to, to victoria done a number of crossings from bowen island to nanaimo and then worldwide i've been you know i paddled uh, uh did a great experience at uh, in bora bora we again it's one of those things that captures your imagination and there was a race from vanilla island to bora bora it's about a 45 kilometer crossing and so yeah lots of paddling lots of experience in, in paddling but nothing like race to alaska that, that for that amount of days and the logistics for that that's i find that exciting what um what do you expect your campaign to look like what do you think this race is going to be for you one day at a time so i like to break down mm -hmm. a lot of these big projects into small increments and take each day as it comes and and plan my day according to what comes my way you can put a lot of planning from from Victoria, or I'm going to say Port Townsend, even Port Townsend to Victoria is is, is a is a good challenge, and the weather plays a huge role, and that's that's just the roll of the dice. 
so as far as planning, it, it's working with the weather and not exposing myself to conditions that are outside my skill set and not taking too high a risk just because in, in, from my experiences, the weather does settle down to, to, a, to a level that you can engage and then make a lot of time on. So you don't have to rush or push yourself through some really difficult waters because there's no need to. That's my part of my strategy of the whole race is is to work with the weather and use it to your advantage, use the tides and currents. Uh, sometimes that may mean getting up awfully early or doing some night paddling, but use the, uh, the currents to your advantage and work with the, with the weather. Yeah. And um, what has your attention right now? What are the things you're most concerned about or most focused on preparing for as you look ahead? Uh, mentally with the unknown of, of uh, Cape caution, that's a, uh, there's so many stories of, of just mm-hmm. how rough and difficult that is, and it, is, it involves a crossing. So that's on my mind, uh, how, to, how to work with that situation, such as um, I'm pretty good at navigation and using charts. And, and I would also say what the weather throws at, uh, at the racers come Juan de Fuca. Uh, I've looked at all the races and studied every, you know, all the weather conditions since your, the race started. And it seems uh, Juan de Fuca, that's the biggest crux at the beginning of this. I think once, if you can get across there with the right weather, then the remaining trip up to Ketchikan, it would be obviously quite challenging, but you have more flexibility to to plan your time and work around weather where where the stage one, there isn't much options there. You got your 36 hours, I think, was it not last year, 22, where they had the, the gale winds and some folks headed out early and then things went arrived fairly quickly halfway through. So, so yeah, I'm concerned about Juan de Fuca and the weather. Yeah. Well, what does your preparation look like right now? You, you mentioned that you were out paddling yesterday. Are you, are you out regularly right now? Yeah, I've, I put a lot of hours last year in. I, I've actually logged in about 3,300 kilometers last year. But in preparation is making sure I have all the right gear, practice with my gear, focus weight training, better weight, better weight training. And it will then move into on-water uh, training preparations. Uh, you mentioned that your wife uh, paddles and races with you. Did she have any interest in participating in the race? Not at all. <laughs> we watched, <laughs> we watched uh, the movie, the Race to Alaska movie, uh, a couple days ago. Mm-hmm. And she said, uh, and why are you doing this? Uh, it's, it's hard to explain. It's hard to explain. It's just one of those things that uh, it captures your imagination. It did not capture hers. Uh, but she's looking forward to meeting me up there. Um, and then we're, we are talking about maybe doing uh, some uh, paddling trip on, on the, in the area of Prince Rupert. And as you're getting ready, I'm sure that you've got friends and neighbors who are paying attention to this uh, undertaking you've committed to. What are they all saying? Lots of great support. Uh, wishing me well. And, and uh, they're very interested in, in following... Uh, my progress in the race. Um, but yeah, lots of support, all support. And not too much, very little, oh, you're crazy. None of that. It's all been, uh, <laughs> yeah, 
great support, which is, which will be important, especially as you're out there on your own and things get really rough and you, you can sometimes spiral into the, into a mindset that may not be helpful at all. And, and a lot of times friends and family, just, you know, a little word here or there can make a big difference. So it's great having friends that are, that are supportive of it. Mm-hmm. I think that's something that captures the imagination of, um, I think everybody, the racers and, and the people following the races, particularly for you solo uh, campaigners, how you maintain your own mental health and your own motivation in the face of such a huge undertaking and sometimes not seeing people for days. True. Although I'm, I'm for better or for worse, I've, I'm, I'm comfortable being in solitude. So going for, I've done a lot of solo tripping over the years and uh, yeah, I'm okay with being alone for a while, but certainly I enjoy the company of, of people and look forward to that after those days of solitude. Uh, tell us a little bit about your boat. Um, did you select this boat specifically for this year's race or have uh, you you've been no. with this boat for some time? I went through uh, when I was, when I sold the business, I knew I wanted to do a lot more paddling and running your own business interfered a lot with doing multi-day trips or even one or two night trips because the nature of my business had me on call all the time. So it was a little more difficult to go away. So I did a lot of day paddling. That's where my surf ski paddling came in into play because I could go out and do good adventures for the day. Um, so when I sold the company, then I had the opportunity to say, okay, what kind of kayak do I want to get? And the Stellar Expedition 18 is the one I purchased, uh, met all the, all the criteria I was looking for. It's designed to do multi-day adventure racing so it gives me the capacity to carry gear. It's a it's a quite a light boat. So having to haul it from shoreline up to campsites and so forth is is not as difficult as the more traditional heavy Kevlar and uh, fiberglass boats that can be <laughs> quite challenging, mm-hmm. especially you know doing this kind of race. Um, when you finish the R two AK, what what's after that? What big project would you tackle then it's hard to say i i I think the race to alaska is going to be quite a quite an adventure if i did it again it'll probably be with a a group of friends and at a more leisurely pace uh than the race but uh so a lot lot more tripping ahead that's definitely in in the cards it sounds perfect thank you so much for chatting with me today and I look forward to meeting you in person on the docks. Yes, same here. All right, that was Bruce of Team Bow and Arrow chatting with the fashionably late Jen Vincent. Make sure you're checking in with Race to Alaska online at r2ak.com as well as on Facebook, Instagram, and whatever other social media channels may pop up between now and June. And if you're feeling like winter's dragging on far too long, it's dark and wet and dreary, and you need something to excite you, remember to go check out our video archives of Race to Alaska on the Northwest Maritime Center YouTube page. Only 115 days between now and race day, race fans. Talk to you next week. Race to Alaska is a project of the Northwest Maritime Center in Port Townsend, Washington. To learn about our other projects or how you can support them, please visit us online at nwmaritime.org.